I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Today's guest will really teach you how to chill. He was introduced to me by Benoit Kim, a former guest on the Better Call Daddy show. Joshua Greenfeld has had a life filled with unexpected twists and turns, a life full of surprises. He's been a celebrity chef. He's landed his own MTV show, and he has done marathons barefoot and found his soul. Joshua, welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. Okay, so Benoit tells me that you have media training. I would love to know about that journey. Yeah, I mean, I was in like the sort of content creator and then TV world for a while. So I've done, I've kind of been on both sides of the camera and I've done press conferences and tours and interviews and whatever stuff people do. What did you learn from that that you wouldn't have expected? I would say, you know, I think like I used to be in a band and my dream was to like be a famous rock star at the time. You know, you see the glitz and the glamour on the outside, but I think it wasn't until I I flipped and kind of got more into that role that I realized that it wasn't quite as glamorous always. It could be, but it's very exhausting and you know traveling around and answering the same questions all the time and at first it's exciting and you're in these new places and you're like having these great experiences but at some point it's just like a hotel different hotel every night and it starts to feel almost like a caged animal for me so yeah i enjoy being home how did that all happen i used to host a show with my brother called brothers green yeah so it was kind of unexpected i was doing the band thing in new york city living that broke life and started cooking i love food as well as music, but I never saw it either of them really as like a thing that was possible for me to do in my life until it started. The universe starts giving me these signs and music was first. Then I started cooking a lot during the recession in 2008 and people were like, hey, I love your food. Will you hire me for this? Will you hire me for that? Can I have you deliver lunches to me or will you do this dinner party? So I started doing that and my brother moved in to help out. He had just graduated college and I needed some help to manage my band life and this catering, kind of underground catering thing. And then a friend of ours named Adam came by and he was just starting to film us. He was really into filmmaking. He went to NYU school, Tisch for filmmaking and was just interested in our life. And uh, we were just kind of hanging out and having a good time. And it just kind of, somebody saw, we were putting some stuff 
stuff online. Somebody saw it. And next thing you know, we're getting signed to a YouTube show and then a show on MTV. And it just kind of like universe just kept giving me these things. And I kept taking them and, and doing what I could with them to honor those experiences. That is amazing. Yeah, I saw that it led to MTV. What yeah. year was that? Uh, what year is it now? 2023? Yeah. <laughs> God, when did that start? Maybe 2015 or something. We did uh, like a little over three years with MTV. It was MTV International. So we were traveling all over the world to different countries and cooking for like celebrities and artists and really just trying to like explore different places, learn about the food and then bring a taste of it to the artist who was, like I said, you think that they're just have all this freedom, but really they're like in and out. So we wanted to say, hey, like I know you don't have time to explore the food in Malta or Scotland. So we're going to bring you a dish, Ed Sheeran, and see what you think. And yeah, so that was cool. That is cool. I also saw one video you made where it was like how to eat on like $3 a day. Yeah, that was probably my first viral YouTube video. And we had been doing videos for a few years at that point, And I didn't really expect much of it. But something about that really just clicked for people. And it was like, whoa, I can like do that. And yeah, so I had a lot of fun. And it definitely got a lot of people interested in our channel and brought people in that were more interested in budget stuff. And like, I like to do what inspires me. But also think about what's out there and like, oh, people really are responding to this because there clearly isn't much about this. And now, of course, now there's a lot more budget stuff. But at the time, there wasn't much on like how to eat well on very little. So I think it just hit right time, right place, right moment and boom. How did you start getting more and more ideas for that? So and there's a few things to it. For one, I'm not someone that likes to repeat. I don't like to stay in the same format. So like there are a lot of channels that have done really well and, be, and are successful and they kind of have their shtick and that's what they do. And for me, it's like when something's successful, I'm like on to the next thing. I found after that video, like I, I saw this crossroad where it's like, oh, I can become the guy who's like the $3 a day guy and just like ride this until it dies or I can just do totally, something totally different. So I'm, I don't know, I'm always just thinking, my, my mind like spends a lot of time thinking about things and trying to make sense of what makes sense beyond the things in the world that haven't never made sense to me. So the way my brain works is it just kind of feels into like, what are the things that I've been told? Is that actually true? And is there a better way to do something or something that makes more sense that's more in alignment? And you can apply it to anything. It's not just cooking. I've actually been building a lot recently and you know, we got chickens recently and I built a greenhouse and a chicken coop and building is a bit newer to me. My dad's a great builder, but I hmm. never really had the skill. And in building this, I was like, it kind of hit me. I'm like, do I really like cooking or do I just like making things? Because I really enjoy all of it. So I love, I do love cooking, but it kind of made me question, is it just that I enjoy learning and growing and expanding and kind of going through that process of maybe having some sort of frustration because I know that it's like an edge and I'm trying something new. And I, I think I just enjoy that sort of tension and release happens in music and happens in life. I feel like a lot of creators, like you said, they might've taken that idea of how do you eat cheaply and healthily and tried that again and again, if that's what went viral. Yeah. And you see it now too, especially on online, like with TikTok and stuff where it's like, oh, you, if this is like your thing and it hit, like that's what you have to do forever. And I had the same experience years later, I started making videos about living, just doing random stuff. I was messing around on TikTok and just, you know, a couple years ago and I started making videos about living barefoot. 
one I had had a video that was like I have caveman feet and it got like 10 million views and I saw how it was like the same thing I could have just become like the barefoot TikTok guy and and I just I don't know it's like I'm not interested in in that kind of world anymore so I just kind of like left it for the most part like I love inspiring people to like learn more about feet and stuff and I like having resources but I don't want to be the person who feels this pressure of like every day I need to come up with new things and you know you're just competing against all these people that are like you know often getting burned out very quickly and I just want to do stuff when I'm inspired by it so that's I let the inspiration dictate the thing because otherwise to me it feels like inauthentic if I'm not inspired and I understand that there are these people say like oh algorithmically you need to always come out with more and more content but I've been doing a lot of consulting for creators in the last few years and I see that a lot there's this burnout because they feel like they need to keep things up all the time and if you really want to have a sustainable career in general but you know let's talk about online if you're going to feel like hey, I have to post something new every day, at some point, you're going to lose your mind. And I'm seeing it quicker. People are having these really fast rises because things like TikTok and Instagram reels make it possible to go viral overnight. But you can't sustain that, you know, and unless you have an understanding of what it's all about, most people come crashing down hard. And it's really hard to recover from that. Okay, so I wanted to go one direction with the follow up. But after <laughs> you kept talking now, I, I want to know, like, how do you get in touch with other creators? How are they reaching out to you to ask your advice or your expertise around creating content. That's one thing. And then also like the moment I posted in my Facebook group that I'm getting ready to interview a poster child for barefoot running, because that is something that <laughs> kind of did become at one point, I got a lot of feedback there, which I'm sure you get all of the time. And I want to read some of that, yeah. but let's talk I'd about yeah. I call a it little feedback. bit of the creator right. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The feedback stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can start, uh, we can go in any direction, but in terms of where I get stuff from, uh, where people will find me, it's a lot of times just through conversation. I'm still online and I have like a website, you enjoy life.us where I have a little bit about my consulting services, but I'm not trying to actively push it out because because I only like to work with a few people at a time. I find I already have, you know, one like full on client and I have other people that I work with sometimes like hourly and sometimes more in big projects. And I just enjoy doing that. It's just something that I find. So sometimes it's even just like mentoring people and really helping them have a sense of like, oh, this is something you want to do. You really feel passionate about sharing your message online. There are a lot of people that will consult and tell you about statistics and the algorithm and all these things. And I know a lot about that. But for me, the main focus is like the mental health side and like the more sort of how do you understand what it means to be a creator and how do you do it without losing your your damn mind and people just find me maybe i have a friend who's like oh you know you're getting into this you have to talk to yash and, da -da -da -da, and it just kind of spreads like that yeah i appreciate that i'm i kind of work that way too mm -hmm. for me it's not a numbers game of you know let me get two to three hundred people in a coaching group i when i invest my time in people i want to make a difference and that really takes personalization, yeah. you know? I have very few hours. So those hours I give to someone, I want it to help them, not just, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of ways in which you can work with people. So I appreciate that. I, for me, it's not about, I feel like my podcast is kind of about giving back in a bigger way and reaching more people at once. But then the mm. work that I do with the time that I have left over, I want to be more impactful and more personal, like one or two at a time. So mm. I definitely can relate to that. Cool. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've got to read you these and I'm sure you get this all the time, but <laughs> I mean, questions. it was funny. Yeah. People wanted to know what is your regimen for protecting and caring for your feet? I'm sure you get that often. <laughs> Do you go into grocery stores and get kicked out? Have you found your soulmate? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. Well, Lots I'll of plays on words, right? Yeah, it's actually interesting. You know, so many people talk about the soul. Like, is the soul real? Where's the soul in your body? And I'm like, well, think about it. The soul of your foot. It's the thing that connects us to the earth. It's already called the soul. So maybe that's where it is. Yeah, a few things. Grocery stores, I have been kicked out many of times. I There's one grocery store that lets me go in barefoot. So I tend to go there. Otherwise, like farmers markets, farms are never a problem. But the one market that lets me go, there's a few you know, employees there that don't know. Every once in a while, they'll be like, you can't be in here without your shoes. And then I have to have a conversation with them and explain. I've talked to the manager and it's a whole thing. And usually people, they may be a little bit grossed out at first, but once you have a conversation, it makes sense. Because think about it, like I've been kicked out of a grocery store before and someone's like, oh, it's not hygienic. Because I'm like, why are you kicking me out? It's like not hygienic, but who is it not hygienic for? If anything, it's for me. People are walking in with shoes, trampling all kinds of stuff. And actually most shoes, they take in so many more germs in your feet. Now, because I'm barefoot, I'm extremely aware of my feet. And this answers the question about how do you take care of your feet? I don't have a specific practice anymore. My feet are quite tough when I was first getting into being barefoot more. I mean, I live in the mountains in Colorado. So when I was hiking and running barefoot on trails, I was doing more like foot soaks and, you know, adding salves and lotions and stuff to my feet. But now my feet, they take care of me way more than I'd say I take care of them. The key to being barefoot is really just to slowing down. We do live in a fast paced society and there are lots of things you need to be careful about. And one of the things that I've kind of come to the conclusion of is, yes, I can be barefoot in the airport and I've done it. But at what point does it matter? if I'm walking on artificial surface. So I do have what's called a zero sandal. I also have these things called skinners. And it's basically like the thinnest amount of protection you can ever have while allowing your foot to still be a foot. So I, to me, it's less about being barefoot and when I talk to people and it's more about foot health and explaining that if you're someone that has a lot of issues with your feet, it's probably in many cases because you just shove your feet into a shoe and you're not paying attention to whether the shoe actually allows your foot to do what it needs to do. It's like people wear heels and they wear tight shoes, dress shoes, and you know your, your foot, if it's in a shoe, it's getting completely scrunched. So you see people's feet that wear shoes all the time and oftentimes they mold to the shoe and they end up looking like this, whereas my feet are much more, let's see if I can get these things up here. My feet just feel very alive and open and it's a slow process, but the more you get in touch with your feet, the more you allow them to just like kind of go back, I said like reawaken the foot, the more you take them out of your shoes and put them in the ground and, you know, ground yourself to the actual earth, the more it just starts making sense. And then the very idea of wearing shoes, especially tight fitting ones, it's kind of like, wait, what? why would I do that? My foot is the thing that connects me to the earth. It's the root of my body. And if it's out of whack and if it's stuck in like a cast, basically, well, then when I'm trying to walk, my, the rest of my body has to compensate. And people end up with a lot more knee issues and back issues and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I have had back issues. So I went and saw... Off. So take those shoes off. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah, I actually walk around my house all the time without shoes off. And my mm -hmm. kids, I mean, we are a family that drops the shoes at the door. Mm -hmm. And my husband is a fan of like the zero drop shoes. He's mm -hmm. constantly looking for like dress shoes that are zero drop. What are your thoughts on all of those brands? It is hard to find like dress shoes. So Vivo Barefoot, they have a really nice line. They're more expensive for sure than like your average shoe because these are smaller companies. So people sometimes complain about the price. But I find that when you're bare, it's well, first off, it's worth it because it's kind of like the difference between eating really bad food 
and that's cheap and eating good quality food you know maybe on the short term in the moment you're like it's cheap this is better for you know this is easier for me or whatever but in the long term if it's going to cause all these issues what's actually cheaper so that's kind of how i see that kind of stuff i would say get the best shoes that you can find that make your feet feel good in my case it's no shoes but find what you can so like vivo barefoot zero they have a lot of good options it's hard to find a dress shoe because what people are really looking for is a wide toe box and when you mm-hmm. say zero drop for those that don't know zero drop just means there's no heel so most shoes this is the same for athletes shoes almost across the board you see basketball players they might not realize it but they're wearing a heel so imagine best athletes in the world they're wearing shoes that are squishing their toes together and they're wearing a heel and yes they're still performing at high levels but how often do athletes get issues runners if they say it's not if you get injured it's usually when so what happens with a zero drop is it allows your foot to be flat Whereas if you have a raised heel, it's much easier when you're running to heel strike, which causes a lot of tension up your knee. So the other thing is having a like a more open toe box, and that allows your toes to spread out. So the shoes end up looking sometimes a little bit stranger. I interviewed a barefoot, I call him barefoot podiatrist, Ray McClanahan in um, Portland, and he wears, you know, he has this cool little like in his spot because he's much more like barefoot forward and really aware of foot functioning and stuff. In his office, he has like his own little uh, like shoe display where you can buy shoes like a little shoe store he was saying that people give him strange looks because the wide toe box it looks stranger and i hope that over time maybe that shifts but as long as you're okay like standing out a bit I find it's worth it. Like when I walk barefoot, people give me stares and give me looks. But even if there's one person who's like, interesting, what, what do you, what's going on there? I'll always stop and have a conversation. So uh, my partner, Aja, she jokes, I'm like a walking, you know, a barefoot shoe salesman, basically. I'm like a walking advertisement because I love to talk about it. And people just see me on the trails and, and maybe like they don't think that that's possible. Like, oh, you're barefoot on the trails. That's crazy. And I'm like, well, actually, it's not crazy. And I talk to them for a few minutes and then they get it and then I get them to take their shoes off and you know it's fun okay well I'm glad you brought her up I want to know I heard that you are coming into fatherhood we're not quite there yet but we're in that phase of we just like started to uh, trying is a weird word but doing I could say (laughs) (laughs) we've just been very intentional you know we met about three years ago and we both want to have a family and this last year has been like really creating the mindset and creating the intention and the space that we can bring a child and call in a spirit into this world and to be in a place where we're excited about it and and not like oh I need to do all this stuff because kids are gonna like take over my life granted I don't know what it will mean to be a parent but I'm excited I don't feel like there's something that having a kid will limit me from like oh I, like oh man I have a kid now I can't go travel like I don't want to travel I just want to be home I, like homesteading here working on projects doing the things we love and and raising a family so well I can't wait to interview you down the road and find out what it's <laughs> yeah. actually yeah, like actually like yeah I have no idea and I'm aware that whoever I am now in you know however many months is gone dead doesn't exist so I'm okay with that. How many other times has that happened? Enough that it I've made peace with it. And that's like, you know, the we were talking about earlier, the content creation. You know, there was a time in my life, my brother and I were doing this cooking show and a million and a half followers and, you know, a lot in this MTV and we were traveling and doing all this great stuff. And I had a, a lot of my identity attached to it. And I had to let that go when I, when I realized it wasn't in alignment anymore for me. It was the same being in a band for 10 years. That was my life. That was my dream. That's all I wanted to do. And now I can look back on it without any regrets. But when I first through the transition it was tough it was a death and the more i go through that death and rebirth process 
the easier it gets. I'm not going to say the easier, but the quicker it gets. What about changing your name? And that was another big one for sure. I was married and went through a divorce and just a lot of breaking down of what I thought I was. So a lot of that was a huge death for me because I was trying to be this certain type of person. And this is a whole conversation that can get into gender and identity and stuff. But I didn't really know who I was and what my attractions were and what even my sexuality was. And we were going through a time in the world where people were questioning that and, you know, wondering there's a lot of like more stuff in the trans place and non-binary and fluid and there was all these terms coming out but when I grew up it was like either you're gay or straight or maybe you're bi and then suddenly there was all these new terms and I never quite felt like I fit into the gay or the straight if that makes sense or the male or the female I just felt like I was myself and I didn't really I saw things I liked about both genders and certain clothing and certain ways of being and when I went through that death process I just realized that for me it was about identity and the struggle to understand who I am and who any of us are. Um, So when I came out on the other side and just realized that there was no thing that could define me, I made peace with that. Why do you call it death? Well, I think that the only real death is the death of the ego. It's the only thing that can die, the death of the false. I think the physical death is kind of, in a weird way, it's irrelevant. I know that probably sounds like intense for people, but I look at, like, I always look to nature, right? And when a tree falls and when it dies, it becomes something else. It's not actually dead, it's just shifting form. And you see that in nature all the time. There's no, nothing's wasted. Something falls down, it quote unquote dies of, of a certain way of being, right? The tree's standing tall, taking in water the way it is. When it falls over, it's not dead, it's just turning into something else. And then it, it breaks down and into mulch and the soil and the mycorrhizal, you know, the mushrooms and all the different things start to eat away at it and turn it back into nutrients for the rest of the forest. So to me, like the death that I talk about is like death of that which is false, that which doesn't serve us. You know, we're born into this world of all these ideas and, and things we're supposed to do and supposed to be. Our parents, family, friends, books, TV, all this stuff influences us. And then we create this self, but the self is really a, it's a social construct. And when you start to peel back this social construct of who you think you are, that is the, the death and rebirth process, really, that seems to be the most important. And there's different words and everyone has different meanings. So I, I cautious to get too caught up in the actual words of it. So when I say ego, it might mean something to different people. But when I say ego, I just mean that that what you think you are, when you realize that you're not that you can't really be defined by anything, well, then there's a new journey that you're on. That's the, the rebirth. How did your parents respond to that? At first, I think pretty confused, but my mom went through her own process of that too. Around like a little bit after I did, we actually had a really intense conversation. And this was when I was in my 20s, maybe mid 20s over 10 years ago, about 38 now. And we always had a really rough relationship. And I feel comfortable sharing this now because of how it shifted. But her and I just never got along. She had a lot of her own insecurities and, and issues throughout her life. And so when she had me as her first child, I was I had a lot of energy. I didn't want to just sit in her lap like all her friends, kids, and I was running all over the place. And she internalized that and really thought that I just didn't like her and I hated her and took a lot of her own projections out on me. So we always struggled. And for most of our life, it was just tension. I never felt like really like that, that like deep love that I saw a lot of my friends have with their mom where it's like hugging and kissing and I'm here for you. I'd never felt that with my mom. It was always sort of like this kind of stay away sort of thing. And one day after some things transpired, I, I was finally able to express this in a way that she understood. And, and there was a lot of crying and it was a big thing, but she finally got it. And I 
I pretty much told her that the things that she didn't like about her mom were the same things that I didn't like about her. <laughs> I'm like the hair on my arms yeah. is totally raising. I can relate to this so much. Oh my God. She said I told her she had no integrity, but I, I feel like that wasn't a word I would have used back then. But the way I was expressing that I just didn't trust her. You know, if, if she would ask me things and I would say in confidence and then I hear her talking to her friend about it on the phone later. So I just never trusted her. And something about this got through to her and, and it really was a, a big spawning of her her own spiritual awakening and now like she's all that's all she cares about like her life is like doing the work and putting in the time and being quiet and she's like really downsized a lot of her relationships that weren't serving her and she's very like real and like cut the bullshit and let's just go for it kind of thing so now she gets it and, and she you know we've developed a, a much closer relationship because these are the kind of things that we talk about wow but i but i will say just like i never thought that was possible and if i share this out of like hope and i know my mom my mom like loves talking about this and she's like you need to get the story out there because there's a lot of people she works with a lot of parents and kids as well that are in this same situation and, and and just like I never thought that we would have this kind of relationship based on how our relationship was. So when people say, oh, my parents this or they're that or they're never going to change, like all I can tell you is, A, it's not up to you to make them change. And we never know what that's going to be. Somebody once said, sometimes you just have to give it up to God. And I just like that phrase where it's whether you believe in God or not, whatever that is to you, universal truth, higher knowing, we can't be the one to necessarily like force this person into change. But sometimes these things just happen. There's something in the universe that transpires at the right exact moment when before it seemed impossible and suddenly it's possible. And then, yeah, nothing's ever the same. Do you feel like you're able to communicate with her easier now? Yeah, much easier. And even a good story the other the other day, I didn't, you know, my birthday is important to my mom and I didn't forget it, but I knew it was her birthday. Even like the day before I was like, told Oz, just like remind me to text my mom or call her on her birthday. But we had like a crazy windstorm and it was just like this insane night. Didn't really sleep much just because of the wind. It was like, I almost felt like a tornado or something. And I woke up just kind of like more like in a fog and was trying to get a bunch of things done. And I texted her about something else that I just popped into my brain, not thinking, okay, it's her birthday. From her side, it was an insensitive text. And for me too, knowing that it was her birthday and, and sort of not thinking in that moment. And I texted it and then I went back to do some things. And then I asked Aja, I was like, what's the date? Because I was writing the date on something. And she said February 20th. I was like, oh my God. So I like ran in my phone and she had texted me and basically it was like, you know, I'm kind of disappointed you forgot. And then I called her. I was like, I, I swear I didn't forget. Like, I know it's your birthday. I was just telling whatever and I told her the story and we were able to like to laugh about it and that's like a huge difference we were very quickly like she was honest and she even said to me she's like you know I thought about like having your dad text you she's like but that would have been like passive aggressive and I didn't and instead I just like you know was honest with how I felt and then we had a, a great conversation. And so that's like the big shift. Whereas in the past, you would have just reacted and gotten upset and I would have reacted, which was really our relationship. It was always just like us both reacting, like me thinking I deserve something, her th thinking she deserves something. And now it's like, she can be honest about how she feels and I can be honest too not take it offensive. And then we can actually create more connection through that. So that's been really awesome, which I know is maybe rare for parent kid dynamic, but it is possible. What do you wish she would have been like? growing up like what do you wish she would have mm. kind of tried to say i mean i you know there's of course on the one hand it doesn't it doesn't matter because like everything serves its purpose but when i think about like how i want to be as a parent and what i can take and not bring into my kids is just being more patient Mm -hmm. and having more understanding that like this is a child and they don't they're just reflecting you like she's so aware now of what she did and why she did it 
but she didn't have that awareness. So it's like having the awareness of, hey, I'm not perfect and I'm, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to screw up. But like my intention is A to not. And the more aware I am, the more we can actually create some kind of connection because I'm not just in this state of blame. So yeah, I think as a parent, and again, I don't know, so I'm not pretending, but to me, part of the goal is, and why I, I've spent many, many years not being a parent to try to get to this place first of understanding who I am and like the things that I project and how I can actually influence someone positively without like, you know, as my mom says, like kind of projecting all your own crap onto them. Mm, I really yeah. like that. I would love to know like what ideas were you brought into and born with that you no longer believe are true and who are you, Yashua? Tell me who you've discovered no you are. <laughs> I am no one and nothing. I believe, well, it's strange because I, deep down, like I never really felt like I fit in. So I never really knew what I believed, but I was kind of going along with what other people were saying and thinking, okay, well, I'm, so I was diagnosed at an early age with ADHD. And this is a great, just this example alone, like, is enough to track a lot of the changes that I've gone through. From a very young age, I think when I was in third grade, I was put on Ritalin. And my parents, because I was very hyper, not like a mad, rageful kid, but I had a lot of energy. I would go from room to room, just like tearing it apart. And that was, you know, tough for my mom because she was home all day when my dad was working. So they start taking me to different child psychologists and what have you. And one day somebody diagnosed me with AD, first ADD, but then I like knocked over like a cup like of water on their table and they were like, actually ADHD, you know, hyperactive. So I started in third grade, I started taking Ritalin. I was always told that I couldn't focus that, you know, I needed, I was in these support classes all the time. I always had extra help. I just didn't think I was smart. I couldn't read books. I couldn't focus. But when I took the medicine, I was like this sort of robotic thing that just kind of did what I was told and I started getting good grades. So it was like, okay, well, with the assistance of this medicine, you're like the best student in the class. I keep doing that because without it, you can't focus and you're crazy and hyperactive and all these things. So my personality was gone, but I was getting good grades and kind of fitting in. Now, for some reason with English and like reading and writing, I still struggled with, but when it came to like things like math and science, I was, you know, straight A plus student, but I was able to get by reading and writing just by like cliff notes. And to be honest, I had my support teacher was like, you're really good at this math and science stuff. So I'm just going to like basically write your papers for you. I'm just that worked out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I you know went through that process, but then when I went to college and, and I started a band and it wasn't something I thought I could do, but I met someone, his name is Tim and we became best friends and he was an incredible musician. And I was just like, and I'm looking back, this is kind of how I was like, I like surrounding myself with people that were in those positions. Like in high school, my best friend, Ryan, he was the, the quarterback, like the all-star athlete and everything. And I was just kind of there like as comic relief and just kind of have a good time. And so with Tim, like I was like, you are an amazing musician, incredible songwriter. Like we're going to start a band we're going to get famous. And I literally went from having zero passion, zero like direction or anything in life to I knew instantly this is my destiny and this is what I'm here to do and screw everything else. So yeah, I was still taking the Adderall and I was taking Adderall at that point. One day, Tim asked if he could borrow my bottle of pills to like use as a shaker for the, one of the songs. Right? I was like, okay, sure. And he's singing this chorus and he's like, we'll shut you down like a bottle of drugs in the morning. And I was like, huh, what, like, what is that song about? And he's like, well, if you really want to know, it's about you. Like when you take your medicine, you like kind of shut down and you become this totally different person. And something clicked and I realized, wait a second, when I play music, 
I'm able to be like totally present and focused and like engage with this for hours and hours and hours and hours. Why do I think I have this learning disability? Why do I think I can't focus? Maybe it's just that I can't focus on things that I'm not interested in. You know, when I'm sitting in a class, right? I'm sitting in a classroom and I'm like stuck at a desk, even still now, and I'm just like sitting down for too long, having to focus on something. That's just not how I work. So I took the medicine, I threw it out. I haven't taken it since. That was, you know, 15, 16 years ago. The level of focus that I have, like I've written probably nine books. I fell in love with reading and writing. I taught myself how to do both and started changing all these things that I thought I was. And so when you change one thing, when you're like, oh, I can't focus and suddenly like, no, I can focus. Well, then for me, I was questioning everything. And that was kind of the first step of that journey. I love that. I so much agree with that too. Like when you find something that you love doing, hours just fly by. I just started working for a radio station and it's like that too. I sat up in this little podcasting booth for like four hours. I didn't even realize I had been there that long, just playing with it and getting creative and trying something new. But yeah, if, if you're not interested, I zone out too. I can't even pay attention to five minutes. Yeah. And there's a thing that I heard someone talking about that makes a lot of sense for me is they were saying that the idea of like attention deficit disorder, it kind of doesn't make, it makes sense in a context of a box, right? But if you think back to like humans when they were hunter gatherers, they actually needed to have a hyper awareness of so many things. Because when you're out there and you're walking and you're foraging, you have to be aware of the sounds and other predators and all these different things that you're tracking all the time. And that's actually, so instead of it being a deficit of being able to focus on one thing, you actually have this ability to focus on many things, you know, and kind of take in all of your surroundings. So while it might seem to the outside, like you're not being focused, and that is kind of how I am, I have the ability to manage a lot of different things and kind of go from thing to thing, you still be really inspired, but also get things done. It's not like I'm just like lolly gagging around. Like I'm, I, I put out a video recently, like how I manage like a million food projects. Because if you look around my house, I'm sourdough, sauerkraut, I'm making sake and wine and beer and fermenting cheese and, and fermenting curing sausages and growing plants and stuff everywhere. My brain is able to track all of that and be present with each thing. Okay, let's check on this. How's the miso doing? Cool. On to the next thing. Yeah. So I, I think of ADHD as if not that I consider myself to have that and I don't tell people like, oh, I have ADD anymore. But if anything, whatever that thing is, is a superpower. I think it's amazing that you haven't taken meds for that long. Did yeah. you ever miss them? No. Um, I once, a couple of years after I stopped taking them, I was at a party once and someone was like taking Adderall and I took some and oh my, I, I couldn't believe how crazy it was to experience that, to feel that. I was like, I can't believe this is how I was for so many years of my life and I will never take this again. And I don't want to say that I know what I'm talking about and that people shouldn't take their meds and throw them in the trash. We all have our unique journey to follow. All I'm saying is that if you feel like something is off and you feel like you've been this person for a long time and and somebody from a young age said, you have ADHD, you have to take this medication, but you don't feel good on it, consider that there might be another way. I'd say, I mean, I'm also very much, there's only one medication that I take at this point in my life. It's a natural thing. And that pretty much is for any ailment or anything that I use. So I'm very like natural in that way too. I haven't taken any like pharmaceuticals in over 10 plus years. Do you want to share what the one thing is? Cannabis. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I grow it myself and I love sharing it with other people. I just like growing it with intention. And I think it's, it's just an incredible medicine. I think it's something that is very abundant, isn't 
beholden to any one specific way of being or like there isn't it's not like i've done other things in the past you know like ayahuasca and things like that and there's a lot of beauty to the ceremonial space of it and you know all the intention and stuff but what i like about cannabis is it's like something anyone i think can develop a relationship with but it's not something to me that's meant to be taken for a specific like hey i'm i'm feeling this oh try this strain i think that a lot of the cannabis world has kind of gotten it backwards and wrong. So I just like to remind people that cannabis is actually something that works with you and you have to learn how to work with the medicine. We can't just say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Oh, cool. Try this, this strain of cannabis. It will make you feel less anxious. I don't, to me, I don't believe that. Do you think it has any negative side effects? It can. I mean, anything can. I think it has the least amount of negative side effects if used intentionally. But if you're smoking weed all day, it, it might. I mean, Bob Marley seemed to be okay with it and, you know, wrote great music. So, <laughs> um, and some people do. They are like, that's just their medicine. But just like anything, it's the person. I think it's not so much the, the thing we're doing. There's a lot of talk about development with you know people's brains and especially when you're a certain age before your brain's fully developed now i started smoking weed when i was in high school and it was not intentional for a long time and i've had years when i was struggling in the past where i was actually using it as a crutch and using it to check out but i've since developed a much more powerful and present relationship with it and now it's like to me i think it's one of the most incredible medicines ever and really everything is a medicine that we consume so it's the same with food. Um, people can eat and get to feel high on food, right? And it can cause adverse reactions and or food can nourish your soul. So it's all, I think, in your experience of it. Speaking of nurturing your soul, mm-hmm. talk to me about your relationship with music. Yeah. I mean, I've always loved music since I was a kid. And I didn't think it was something that I, it was like I was the watcher. I was, I would dance, but I never thought, oh, oh I can sing, oh, I can play. I was very tone deaf. I tried to play guitar and I quit. And I just sucked at it. But years later, it came back into my life and something over time started to break. And when I started the band and when I started opening my voice, I realized that music is, to me, it's like a God-given thing. It's not something that like a few people have. I think we all have access to music. Now, yes, there are people that are incredibly talented and are going to win Grammys and be on American Idol and that kind of stuff. But the music I'm talking about is the sacred thing that if you track back every culture and even more tribal times, something about music, it's a thing that brings everybody together that creates a really beautiful sacred sense of connection amongst people and that's the music I'm talking about and when I started realizing that not only I had that but I love to share that with people I created this thing called the everybody band and it's really just a reminder and it's a space and a container where people can come and experience that music and I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are like oh I, I am tone deaf or my sister was a singer or somebody told me early on you know I had a bad voice that all there's all these stories but give me five or ten minutes of somebody and I'll get them singing and I've never once not been able to do that I've thousand people. So I created an online school. It's kind of a pay what you want. And I just share my sort of philosophy and and just different techniques and different things about kind of awakening the music within your soul. And yeah, music is is the life force in my life. It's something that we're all made of. We have a heartbeat, so we have a rhythm. And when you connect to that basic spirit of it, I think people start to realize that, oh, maybe I've been closing myself off to something to go back to what we were saying before because of some story that somebody told me or some belief that I had. And we all feel it. Like if, if you like music, if you've been to a concert, heard someone sing, you felt moved by it or you've been dancing or whatever, like you probably are more of a musician than you realize. 
you've been practicing your whole life without realizing it because you listen to music and you like music. And even if you sing alone in the car or in the shower, it's already there. So it, it's not like it takes years to learn how to play music. It can happen very quickly. Oh my God. My dad loves music and he's been begging me to come up with a song for this show. I am trying not to discourage my dad because I don't want to crush his soul, but like, I do believe that music, you can't just throw it together. Like, I, I mean, I've worked with people that help create songs and, you know, there's a mixing process and there's definitely a difference between doing it at home and doing it in a studio and doing it with somebody who's trained. Do you believe that anyone can learn how to sing or anyone can do music professionally? So the distinction that I make is that there is a professional world of music that I don't think most people want to or should get involved with. There's a lot of amazing bands out there that dedicate their life to music and it's a dream and it's an amazing thing and I'm grateful for it. But I think that for the average person, like just developing a connection to music and to recognizing that's something that you can participate in, that's great. I don't think most people should pursue music. It's actually a really hard and, and not often fulfilling thing. Um, I've met a lot of musicians that are famous and it's like, you know, there's a beauty to that and getting to share this music, but it's also, it's challenging because suddenly you're having to sell the work that comes from your soul and you're having to deal with record labels and all these things and studios. And a lot of times we'll have, we do these song circles and odd musicians come and sometimes it's like such a relief or a breath of fresh air just to sit in a circle with other people and just improvise music. Because what we do is all improvise. We just improvise it and make it up in the moment. And it's like, wow, I've spent all this time trying to like condense my song into this thing, whereas the songs are these free things to me. So I think there's a time and a place for both. But yeah, it's the recording studio. I've been in that world for many years and it can drive you crazy and it's not for everybody. Some people absolutely love it and they love being in there and they create a process and they spend all their time. And the people that are like that, it's like, cool, go continue to do that. But most people I think could just do well to, you know, sit at a campfire with a guitar and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> You know, that's good I prefer enough. that. Yeah, yeah, that's a more relaxed environment. For sure. Do you want to do some of that? Do some kumbaya. Some kumbaya or yeah. a warm up or. We can do something for the audience. Um, yeah, let's do it. So if you're listening, we're going to just do a quick little thing just to prove that you can sing and make sounds. Um, so first off, you talk all day, right? People talk, most people. Unless you're just like a robot repeating things like a script, you're improvising. Right? To speak, to have a conversation with somebody is improv. You have to listen to what they're saying and you respond. And that's all music is. The only difference between speaking and singing is just going up with your voice and down with your voice, right? It's very subtle. And we live in this world of communication through voice, which has become obviously like the main way of communicating. But to me, like English is my third language. Music is my first and my second. I Sometimes I'll be speaking and speaking and speaking and I, I appreciate this way of language and you know you have a podcast and this is a great way to talk to people. And then also like when I sing, it's like, oh, like that's my, that there I am. And what I want to do is just a little bit of an exercise with anybody listening. And what I'll say is close your eyes because it helps to take away the physical visual, which is just a distraction. And I'm just going to play my guitar really simply. And we'll just kind of like just sound, just tone, make some sounds. Don't worry about if it sounds good or if it's right. Just start to sound, just start to explore how your voice works in kind of this free way.
and that simple if you have a voice you have a song if you have a heartbeat you have a rhythm i love that that is so relaxing too so every morning aja and i wake up and we have this thing called a harmonium and it's it's almost like an organ but it's you pump it and you play notes and we'll just tone and it's like it just creates like a big sound and we just take 20 minutes to just open up our voice and just tone and i find that after i do that my voice just feels so much more connected so that way when i do go out in the day and i'm talking to people i feel a deeper connection to my voice because the voice is a thing that allows us to really communicate and to connect with people so if we're in tune with it it just makes it that much easier to be confident in our speaking to be present in our speaking and i think that for someone like me You know, I grew up having this idea of being tone deaf and I thought I couldn't sing and I had a very weak voice and I mumbled. And when I broke free and opened my voice up through music and mushrooms were supporting that as well at one point. And also cannabis has been a really big help with that. Again, you don't need any of these things and I've done it in many different ways, but I found that when I started to open up and change my voice, I realized that even my voice was an identity, right? And I can be, I can talk like this and and go somewhere and be this person and tell, you know, and I can talk like that. And if people don't know who I am, maybe they'll think I'm silly or something, but they might think that's my voice. And if I were to speak this way long enough, I, that might become my voice. So when I realized that the voice wasn't this consistent, solid thing, but that it actually could change and that I didn't have to be this sort of quiet, shy, mumbly kind of person. And I started learning how to breathe and find the power of my voice. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not defined by that. And I can actually start to tap into what my voice actually is. And it changed a lot in my life for me. I want to know what you haven't changed. Because to me, it sounds like you've changed a lot. What hasn't changed? I don't know. That's the beauty of life is being on that journey to figure out who we really are beyond what we told what we were told we've been. That's like, that's the thing I've spent the most time on. And every day I'm still looking at and there's a, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are looking for things like they're seeking, you know, enlightenment and trying to figure out what that is. And to me, enlightenment is actually a very simple thing that I believe most people go through at some point, but because they don't know what it is, or they don't have the support that they push it away. And and so here it is. This is my own experience. I'm not saying this is right, but this is what I know to be real. I went through a bad depression when I first moved to New York City. I, I kind of hit this place of life is empty and meaningless. And through a series of different events, I found Buddhism and, 
and teacher through some books that I felt really resonant with. And at first I felt like, okay, life is this empty, meaningless, pointless thing. And then I started reading some things that actually made me see that it was like the Buddha, he came to the same conclusions, but he had kind of this beautiful spin on it. It was like, well, if life is empty and meaningless, you can create whatever you want. And what I started to see was because everything was conditioning, that awakening is just recognizing that. Awakening is waking up to the true nature of who you are, which is undefinable. And when you realize that, then you spend the rest of your life adjusting to this new reality where you're not any singular, solid, defined thing, but you're limitless and infinite. And from that place, anything's possible. You can learn anything, you can do anything, you can create anything because you're in a different way of being than you were before. I used to think life was happening to me and that I was just kind of trying to survive and, and hoping that the girl liked me and hoping I got good grades and, and whatever. And then I was like, no, there's this divinity that's always there. And when I sync up with that, then I'm being divinely guided and things make much more sense. I'm not trying to figure it out and trying to force stuff. There's a natural rhythm and a way of that everything works, just like music. There's a natural rhythm it's always there when you sync up to it you don't have to generate it you know it's like you don't have to be the one generating the rhythm it's already there just sync into it and then your body's like oh so if that made sense so <laughs> have you synced up with your dad i know he's a podiatrist podiatrist yeah it's a good, good one when i started doing the barefoot stuff so my dad and my sister is also a podiatrist too so they were like shaking their heads like oh, you're out of your mind but you know my sister comes from a n more of a younger like newer schooling newer way and as they've seen like when i ran my first and only marathon barefoot in the mountains they thought i was crazy and but i did it and i survived and my feet only got stronger because of it so the more i awaken my feet as i like to say and and the more i grow in this way i see my dad gets more and more interested and so that's been nice to kind of connect on that and he's he's also in a space of being much more open and really like going internal and meditating and reading things like Eckhart Tolle and that kind of stuff my mom's definitely been an influence on him but what's what i like about the foot and the shoe is it's a perfect analogy for this awakening process where let's say you spent your life wearing a tight fitting shoe and that's what you thought your foot was your whole life is just stuck in this shoe and it's sweaty and it's smelly and it's uncomfortable but you're like well that's i was told i need shoes and this is just the way it is and this is the shoe that's put on my foot and then one day you take your shoe off and you put your feet in the ground and you're like oh my god this whole time i've had this incredible thing in there and maybe it's like a seed that needs you know it's a seedling coming out of its shell it needs some nursing but if you give it the proper love and care and attention it can blossom into this beautiful flower and that's kind of how i see the human experience as well you know we the the ego the personality that is on us is uncomfortable and, and and weird and then when we take it off you can put on any costume you want <laughs> what about injuries with my feet yeah just like anything else i've had injuries nothing bad and i'm surprised how quick my feet heal it's amazing how like because i'm i'm someone that gets injured every day and i've been doing all this building if you look at my hands right now the amount of splinters and nicks and cuts and things are like like every day i'm like yep there's another one but i heal so quickly and i don't ruminate on them and it's just part of it's a mindset part of it is just like a way of that my body has been able to condition itself so with the feet stuff like i had a guy at the end of my marathon he came up to me and he's like i saw you did this barefoot no one had ever tried this mountain barefoot before and he's like, you know, what was it like? I'm, I've heard about the barefoot stuff and the minimal shoes. And do you think it's worth it? And I was like, well, for me, like, it's no question. And and I should mention this. So this guy, he came up to me and he was covered in blood and he, his knees were like all bloody. And he's like, you know, I fell like six or seven times on this run. And I'm like an ultra runner. I've run like 50 mile plus races, Grand Canyon. But he's like, I haven't spent, I've 
thousands of dollars spent on shoes and they're just sitting in a pile in my bedroom. And I said, well, here's the thing. Like, I think the barefoot thing makes perfect sense to me. However, if you are someone that is concerned about time, oh, this is like, I, I can run a seven minute mile. And I can do this many miles. It's like, maybe you're used to that. What if you went barefoot and you could run one mile in 30 minutes? You know, what does that look like? And the issue is a lot of runners, they come from this egoic space of, Here's my timing, here's my splits. And that's when you start getting injured, right? So like, if you wanna go barefoot, I think it's better, but recognize that you have to slow down. So being barefoot has caused me to be really slow and be really mindful in life. And my injuries are often very superficial because if I'm going, getting a little too cocky while I'm running or something, my body's just gonna remind me. It's like, I'm gonna twist my ankle a little, just a little bit, you know, to be like, hey, slow down, take it easy. There's no destination. So it's actually, I think I've gotten much more aware from being barefoot because you also have to be aware of where you're walking and there are obstacles and things that you could step on. But people say, well, you could step on a needle or you could step on a nail. Like you could, but also I heard a story recently from a certain podiatrist about someone who they couldn't get their shoe off and they came into the office. And the reason they couldn't get their shoe off is because they stepped on a nail that went through their shoe and was in their foot and they were so desensitized their feet were so desensitized that they didn't even know there was a nail in their foot infecting their foot so people can wear shoes and think they're protected to me it's superficial protection you could step right through a nail the chances of that happening to me are so slim because if i start to step on the nail my feet are so aware they have their own senses that right away i'm going to pull up so i step on sharp things but i have enough callus where it's like oh i feel it and i pull away and without that awareness of my feet, I'm probably more likely to get injured. Oh my God. I've stepped on a nail and yeah, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. It went right through my flip-flop at camp. That's it, right? It's like, there's no, I think it's easy in our world to kind of polarize things, whether it's like Democrat, Republican or barefoot, not, you know, like everything is like, you're this, you're that, but there's this insanely huge spectrum that's infinite. So any, any choice you make, not all barefoot people are the same. We're not all dirty, smelly hippies. You know, some of us might be, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're different because we all have a way of doing things and we all have a way of figuring those things out. And to me, being barefoot makes sense. I've met people that are the, you know, I joke about the dirty, smelly hippie thing because that that's I grew up being a big my dad was a big deadhead and I was into fish and like into that world and, and love that so people assume I'm just like a hippie and I'm like well there's things about hippies that I appreciate and then there's also things that I appreciate about all kinds of people okay so yeah. you're a dirty hippie like your dad <laughs> well my dad I think had his dirty hippie moment and <laughs> You know, following the dead around, but he's also a doctor. So and that's that's what's cool. We actually, you know, a lot of people don't know that about him. And he came to visit me in Boulder for the first time. And we had someone come over and give him a massage. And she, she's kind of hippie-ish. She wears like tie-dye and stuff. And, and he, you know, he wears like more suit, tie, whatever, um, casual, but like he's well-dressed. And he was asking her about like, you know, how he'd be perceived. And it wasn't until after that I told her that he's like, you know, had his hippie phase and loves the dead. She was like, really? Like, I had no idea. So it's like, don't judge a book book by their cover he might dress a certain way but then you might also see him at a grateful dead concert you know dancing and having a good time so yeah i i think that anything in life can offer us something i like reading different books about different types of people all kinds of different people because i think everywhere that you look there's an opportunity to learn something new and i do feel like the world has gotten much more polarized where it's like if somebody doesn't agree with you you can't listen to them or whatever and personally i'm like i have nothing against people that wear shoes i used to be a shoe goer and if you're someone who's interested in being barefoot i'll gladly talk to you but if you're not i'm not going to convince you it's better or anything like that that's just like a waste of energy 
do you, it's like you do you. Yeah, yeah. I think my dad will definitely appreciate that. I don't know if he'll try it, but my husband does lift with no shoes. So nice. speaking of gaining wisdom from everyone, is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Yeah, well, as a dad, I would just love to know, like, I'm so curious about this experience transitioning from being just like a person to being a parent. I always look at my dad and I'm like, how did you like become? How did you learn? You seem like such a dad, such a parent. So I'm just curious what his transition was like and if there were certain things that were really helpful to him along the way. There's my cat. Yeah, you're a parent to a kitty. So yeah. that's taking care of someone. I mean, taking care of anything is very challenging. Yeah. A, a learning and patience for sure. I, I really definitely think that those are the keys. I mean, I, as a parent, I'm a mom of four. I pray for patience wow. daily. Wow. That's amazing. I can't imagine. Yeah, actually, you when you were talking about advice, uh, kind of advice that you would have, you know, given to your mom, I was taking note of that. Like I realized, and then I beat myself up over this, that, you know, I say mean things to my kids and I say things that I regret and I don't have necessarily like the perfect relationship with all four of them. And, you know, if you can become more aware or if you can make changes now, you know, versus when they're in their late 20s or 30s. I want to do that. But mm. two, there's years where they just don't want to communicate with you in the same way. I mean, I went through that. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine it. And that's why I feel like in my situation with my mom, yes, it would have been great if we had a different relationship growing up, but it all turned out okay. And that's like a nice thing to remember that there is a place, even if you kids don't get you or you they don't you don't get them there's a place where that can happen and we can't know when that's going to be or how it's going to be but at some point in life it just things start to click and start to change and i think that's the case for anything you know people are like we live in this world where everyone's trying to not everyone but a lot of people are more conscious of who they are and they want to grow and heal their trauma and change their ways of being and that's a really long journey and just like the way your hair grows you don't notice it, but somebody hasn't seen you in five months and it's like, whoa, you know, and that's kind of how I see like the healing journey is we can always be like looking for these gigantic, massive healings and changes, but it's such a subtle thing. And it's usually not until we look back that we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Whether that's healing your body or even learning an instrument or whatever it might be, when we can enjoy the process as, as much as possible and trust that process, when we look back, things are like, wow, that I'm glad I put in the time because now it's worth it. I actually think that's a, that that is a beautiful part of creating content as well. Because in the beginning, oh my God, much less polished and much less aware of what I was putting out there. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh my God, that was way <laughs> oversharing. Or I can't believe I showed up on camera like this. But the more comfortable you become and the more that you document, it's really great, I think, to look back at. Yeah, and I admire that now about the way people can share you know, if you look at things like TV shows, it's like, nah, it's like you got to get it right or it's canceled. One episode, they don't get the ratings. Whereas, yeah, YouTube, there's this beautiful thing that like when I consult people, I'm like, hey, you could spend your life trying to get something perfect, but there is no perfect. If you're inspired, share something. And by the time people actually will see it, besides like your parents and a few friends, you'll have gotten to the point where you feel more comfortable and that there is this natural rhythm of like you put out, you put out, you put out. And when people start to connect with it, you're growing and you're growing and you're growing. So don't feel like you need to be perfect because there is something really cool about the journey. And I think that we're living in a much more authentic time 
where people can, yeah, they can do a podcast and they can just have a real conversation or they can press record on their phone and put out a video on YouTube without having to go through all these channels and people's opinions and stuff. Yeah, of course, everything has its sides, but I really appreciate about how technology has evolved from like the, even with bands, like you used to, even these big bands that we see like the 60s and they're so free, if they wanted to get their music out there, they had to work with these big labels and studios and that was the only way. Now you can record an album on your computer and put it out for free and that's crazy. Yeah. What's the dream next for you? I mean, we live in Colorado and honestly just doing this sort of homestead family thing, trying to learn as much as possible about what it means to grow all of our food and be more self-sustainable. And I've been in that world for long enough where like I see the beauty of it and I see the connection to it and to raise a family from that way is nice. So I don't have any, that's the thing about kids, like maybe because I spent these last years doing this dream stuff, like I don't have any big like career dreams or ambitions like it's yeah even with the barefoot thing it was like oh here's an opportunity to be that guy and i just was like yeah like i'm i I like inspiring people and i I wrote a book about it and i give out all my books for free on my website and i like sharing things but like i don't have any attachment to how they they turn out or where i end up in that way i just like inspiring people and you know we do private retreats at our home people come and stay with us and i enjoy sharing the life that we're living and it's like hey let, let me just share what we're doing and if this inspires you learn something great go like share with somebody else. Okay. If this inspires people to want to come to your retreat, what's the best way to stalk you online? Yeah. I mean, most everything is at on my website at youenjoylife.us. You can download all my books there. You can check out my music course. You can see our private retreats, consulting. I try to just keep it simple. Like, here's the things I like to do. The retreats, they're all personal. We do one to four people. We have a really nice mountain home out here in Boulder and it's we call them sacred rest because they're a rest from this like never-ending grind of trying to fix trying to heal trying to better yourself it's like what does it look like just to be in the presence of life and to realize that the healing is always happening it's not some big thing we need to like seek out all the time but just by being more present in our life and starting to shift our awareness that this is a natural intelligence that just like divinely guides us. The idea for these retreats, we've always been refining them and refining them because we really wanted just to feel like you're coming to spend a weekend. So we would have friends and come and stay with us. And they were just like, this, I really appreciate your life. There's like a deep connection that I feel here. I've learned something. And so I want the retreats to feel as much like that as possible. You're going to eat great food. We're going to go for hikes. You know, we're going to meditate. We're going to sing. We're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about real things. And like, that's just the life that we're living. So my parents did come and visit and stay for a few nights. And, and it was close enough to a retreat. But it kind of occurred to me in the last ret- retreat that if I feel like I'm working, well, then it it's, it should feel in a weird way, it should feel like a retreat for me as much as it is for them. Yes, we're aware of them and we're bringing them into our life. But if I'm like in this state of trying to work or trying to give them some experience, well, then that's going to come off kind of strange. So I was like, we just need to be on our own retreat too, just hanging out. And it really felt like that it was just like hanging out with a friend and she had an amazing time. And yeah. Well, I give it to you because whenever you put on a party or a retreat or an event, if you can actually enjoy it yourself, then you've done well. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, that's not easy to do. No, it's not. Okay, not, this has but, been amazing. Yeah. It's been really great chatting with you. I really appreciate you having me on here. And yeah, I hope to hear more about your story in the future. But I appreciate just your presence and what you're doing to inspire people out there. So thank you. Thank you so much. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. 
All right. So that was an interesting episode with Yashua. Well, Yashua is really, by my definition, he's always wants to be chill. He wants to be like on ice. He wants to be cool, but not in the sense of where he's trying to prove something to anybody, but he wants to be able to feel relaxed at whatever he does. He wants to be able to do it at his own pace. And maybe that's a lesson for all of us is that if we put pressure on ourselves and we have to ascertain certain things at a certain time period frame, we put unnecessary pressure on ourselves where even if we're performing well or doing well, <laughs> that's how you get burnt out because you're straining to do it. Why not do it relaxed? Why not do it where it's comfortable? Why not do it where it's smooth and easy and take your time at it, think about it and not have to be like in a two minute drill. But yet other people, when they put themselves in the two minute drill, your father included, it seems to set my adrenaline flowing and it rises me to a higher level. Some people play actually better or do better under pressure. But I agree with Yeshua that not everybody can be under a tight window of performance where it's got to be where you have to go to a level or a high degree, like instantaneously. He would rather get there at his own pace, learn and do things that and explore things and ideas and learn at his own pace without putting himself under a large amount of pressure. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Actually, I think everyone sometimes needs to just take a step back and go with the flow and not put yourself under undue pressure because usually when you do so, you find out later on that it was not necessary. It, it really, it was all in your mind. And in actuality, you could have accomplished it in your own terms. And that's what he's trying to tell you. I thought it was also fascinating how he related to even to his feet, okay? That if you're actually putting your shoes on at all times, you're also restricting its movement. You're restricting feeling good even in with your feet and that you can actually do a marathon or run or do things more naturally is the correlation. If you just take your shoes off and let your feet feel the ground, your feet will adapt just like your soul and your person can adapt to real life where don't do it in a manner that you have to restrict yourself. You do not have to restrict yourself as a person and you don't have to restrict your feet and your feet will might even feel a lot better without any shoes on and your life can feel a lot better without putting all these restrictions on yourself. And sometimes society does that in the institutional world that we live in is that everything has to be done a certain way and not everyone can adapt to these type of perimeters. Set your own pace, be your yeah. own person. It reminds me of some of the most accomplished martial artists, how they're able to just throw somebody to the ground and make it look super easy because they're so relaxed. But the ones that are just starting out, they try to muscle you to the ground. They're using a lot of unnecessary energy. And that's what he's trying to also say is that all of this restrictive behavior that you put on yourself, all you're doing is banging your head against the wall. It's not really going to get you anywhere. And when you figure out what you really love to do, make that part of your day every day. Try to include something else so that you also don't just get focused in on just one thing. He wants to explore many, many facets of life and visit many different areas of the world 
but he wants to be able to do it where he's not force feeding himself so he doesn't have to choke himself to death. I think these are all very valid points. It's called taking a chill pill and he's number one at it. He knows how to chill. And by doing that, there's an attraction where other people see that he's really for real, that he chills all the time. And he makes that as part of his daily routine to stay chill. And this way he's able to overcome any pitfalls to life or any problems that occur because he always wants to be cool. Well, let me tell you something. He's chilled up mountains barefoot. He's chilled creating food for people and made magnificent things. He's chilled in his relationships with his parents and healed those. I mean, those are some pretty remarkable things. And he's been able to do that without putting himself in a box, without putting on restrictive shoes, as he would say. Sometimes running around barefoot when we were little, guess what? It was the most pleasurable time of your life because you didn't have to worry about anything. When you are able to run around naked or run around with your shoes off, you are very relaxed. I don't think I put shoes on Rafi half the time we lived in Kentucky. I let him run around like that until he was probably close to two years old. Don't you remember how many pictures I had with him walking around barefoot? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that as you know, your own son and yourself and, and, and your dad included, we also like to be able to have our freedoms to be able to do what we want to do without being restricted. And if that's good for me and good for you and good for your son, guess what? That could be good medicine for everyone. He is now thinking about being a chill parent and living off the land and entering the next stage of life. Well, Anything and, you would say about being a chill parent? And isn't that really what he's asking? He says, is that the right formula to being a parent? And the fact is, is that the answer is yes. Because when you come home with a hard day of work and you bring that home with you or your issues or your problems and you take them out on your children, it will affect them and not necessarily in the way you intended it to be. So to be a chill father or a chill parent, I think is very good advice. And the number one thing would be is to have patience. Patience is still a very big trait in being a parent because children are at a developmental stage and they're not going to respond without our example. So they don't know how to act right until they really learn how to do it. We have to show that if they're making mistakes or not doing everything that we think they should be doing, we have to show some diligence and patience so that they know that they can get there. And if we stop them from getting there, aren't we then being too restrictive? And when you're too restrictive as a parent, then your children can't find their way on their own. They'll always uh, be in a position where they need extra help because we have to find a formula where they can build self-confidence and be able to do it on their own. Well, we have to give them that opportunity. Let's be good mentors. Let's be good buddies. Let's be good friends. Let's surround them with opportunity to also be involved and learn many things so that they can be well-rounded. Let's not get caught up in restrictive behavior. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. 
I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now. 